You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes. My name is Christian Colley, and with me is Ben Stegner. How are you, Ben? I'm doing well, Christian. It's uh, it's autumn time here in full swing, although we got a little bit of heat still. So it's it's a it's a nice time of year. I think I'm happy. It sounds is it as picturesque as it sounds? Yeah, it is. Uh, the leaves haven't quite started falling yet because it's still like in the 70s or I guess what like 21 or 23 Celsius. So it's still a little bit warmer for uh, the the proper fall, but it's it's a pretty time. Sounds beautiful. If only we had cyborg trees, well, then again, maybe that's not such a good idea because maybe someone will accidentally shut them down and then they won't work. Uh, we, that you, would be a shame. <laughs> wouldn't it just? Uh, we're joining you or you're joining us at the, um, the, the kind of the end of the great Facebook shutdown of 2021, which we're going to go into in a lot more detail shortly to uh, help you understand what happened, where your photos went, all that stuff. We're also going to be discussing uh, VPNs for gaming, uh, virtual private networks are a privacy measure that you can take. And they have some advantages for gaming, uh, particularly online gaming. But first, it's Facebook. Yesterday, we saw Facebook get taken off the internet. I don't know why it went down, but I know that for more than five hours, Facebook wasn't used to deepen divides, destabilize democracies, and make young girls and women feel bad about their bodies. Uh, now, in the UK, it probably it was probably it was a bit different for us here because basically what happened is we woke up on October the fourth and Facebook was there and we carried on about our day doing things, dipping into Facebook from time to time as you do, maybe sharing photos, updating what you did on the weekend, all that kind of thing. I'm imagining in the US. You woke up and it just wasn't there. Yeah, I think it, it started happening about 11.45 a.m. Eastern okay. time. So if you had to so, lie in, it wasn't there. Yeah, it was about <laughs> uh, it, it was about the middle of the day for us on the East Coast. And then if you're in California or whatever, it was more when you were waking up and starting your day. So I guess it depends on where you were located, how much of a catastrophe it was. Yeah, totally. Now, the interesting thing about this, you probably know Facebook went and it was as if it just never existed at one point. Uh, there is a kind of a progression of events linked to this, although it might be that they weren't actually linked and it was all a coincidence. So, first of all, uh, there's the Facebook employee turned whistleblower who made some bold claims on 60 Minutes. And this is uh, Francis Horgan, the Facebook whistleblower. And there's a bombshell report known as the Facebook Files and her identity was revealed in an interview on CBS News' 60 Minutes. And um, to summarize, it's basically five key claims that Facebook's algorithm shows you hateful and divisive content intentionally for engagement. Facebook is profiting from you from showing you hateful and divisive content. Facebook chooses profit over safety. Facebook is lying to you, yes, you listener, about its fight against hate, violence, and misinformation. 
and that Instagram is harming teenage girls. Now, of those claims, five is kind of semi-obvious, and not just teenage girls either, I would argue. And the other things are, well, I mean, I think it depends on which side of the divide of whether you think something is hateful and divisive or not, because, you know, these things are objective and declaring one thing that you just simply disagree with as quote-unquote hopeful or divisive is not constructive, it could be argued. Now, the interesting... I would agree. Yeah. I, I think that, because I think, I don't want to get into too much of the law and stuff here, but I think divisive specifically, I mean, on one hand, it's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what makes life interesting, like yeah. divisive... I don't know if content's the right word, like sharing something that some people agree with and some people disagree with and having an interesting discussion about it. I feel like that's kind of the point ostensibly of social media, you know, like, uh -huh. you know, how do you feel about this? Like, let's talk about it. I know that never happens and it just evolves into a shouting match and all that. But, um, I mean, you know, hateful, that's its own can of worms, but divisive. I mean, I don't know, just because people don't agree on something doesn't mean it's bad or shouldn't be discussed. Yeah, I would I would agree there, and and of course you know I mean this, that 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 whole shouting match thing. I mean none of it's constructive, really, I suppose. But then again, you kind of want to get away from that sort of, not just the echoes and the you know the, the echo chambers, but also that sort of notion that, you know, I I often think that Twitter, and I have some great people that I follow and interact with on Twitter, and they I wouldn't normally include them in these in this kind of declaration. It's kind of a more generalized description that Twitter is kind of what the world would be like if everyone was telepathic because very few people take the time to self-edit their tweets they just press the button the plus button edit um, you know to compose a new tweet issue some nonsense and send it without having a moment to think of the consequences or whether they actually even mean it in many cases so Anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of it like that. Yeah. But th the thing is about the Facebook thing is that it was then kind of um, highlighted that uh, face after the broadcast that um, Facebook's, or in, in the immediate run-up to, to the broadcast, that Facebook share price was dropping. But that had actually been happening since September the 24th. And there were some people that linked the two things of uh, it dropping so suddenly uh, I think it dropped 5%, but it had actually dropped by a similar amount, not the same percentage, but, you know, to a similar degree uh, about a week ago. So I, I, it is, we're probably not going to know exactly what happened with Facebook, but, you know, this is one of the key things leading up to it. And, you know, th th this whistleblower is now going to be sharing the frightening truth, quote-unquote, with the uh, U.S. Senate, uh, in fact, is doing so as we record this on Tuesday publicly in Congress. Uh, we, we're recording this on Tuesday this week. Um, Frances Hoggins said that she came forward because I recognized a frightening truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside Facebook. The company's leadership keeps vital information from the public, the U.S. government, its shareholders, and governments around the world. Now, this is particularly I mean, it's, if it, as if it wasn't bad enough, there is a former UK politician called Nick Clegg who was given a very prominent role at Facebook um, in the area of transparency. And, um, I mean, 
you know, that's not his exact job, job title. He's not like sort of director of area of transparency. But, you know, that, that was it, the implication was that his his uh, appointment was that like, things would help to be more clear. Um, this is a politician sure. who, um, in 2010, uh, in an election campaign, declared there would be no uh, increase in uh, students, uh, big pardon, in tutorial fees, tuition fees for students at university. And then uh, he engaged in a coalition government with the Conservative Party, which is currently led by uh, Boris Johnson, you may have heard of at the time, David Cameron, and they brought in uh, a vasting, a trip, a trebling of tuition fees for students. So, um, and, and, you know, the idea that uh, this is an MP, a politician, or a personality who has any interest in transparency is something I find uh, endlessly amusing. Yeah, I think if you're going to bring someone onto your team as a transparency head or whatever his title was, I think that a politician's probably the worst. <laughs> type of person to do it with yeah. you think you'd be better off hiring like a hacker or, a or like serial a, killer. a journalist or an activist that's going to actually like not want to cover things up which is yep. like a, a politician's entire job description yeah totally <laughs> it seems like a pretty bad choice yeah uh so um obviously there's a lot going on with that um we can't check in with what's going on right now with that but uh, i dare say there'll be some uh, heavy impact from that uh, nearly isn't that on a sudden impact. I nearly actually said sudden impact. It's a Clint Eastwood movie, isn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, quick, uh, moving on from that, then Facebook vanished, as we described earlier. And at first, there was, it was just like a typical page where, you know, when you've typed in the wrong URL, it was that type of reaction from your browser. There'd be nothing there. Facebook app would work on a mobile device, but you wouldn't be able to refresh anything. And it, this continued for a few hours, and then there was the um, insane appearance of a uh, "We'll be back soon," but it was dated 2020. <laughs> oh, I don't think I actually saw that part. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I didn't really try to go on Facebook very much when it was out. I like noticed it early on, and then I knew I couldn't use WhatsApp to message my friends. Yeah, we have a couple of group chats there, but I don't think I ever saw the message from 2020. That's a blunder. Yeah, it, it was quite amusing, and then. Um, oh, just on the share price, as we record this, I mean, it's basically, it's at 332.96 a share. Um, a few days ago, it was at uh, 382. Uh, so that, you know, that's a huge drop in share price. I'm not someone who follows share prices, but I'm certainly someone who can appreciate that's a big drop. And um, it's probably the lowest it's been in 2021. Now, as all this was happening, everyone going on Facebook, there's nothing there. What's happened? Oh, let, let's join Twitter. So people either join Twitter or relaunch their Twitter accounts. And, you know, you might find some interesting conversations there, maybe like a strange exchange between uh, the um, between uh, Jack Dorsey and the people behind the Facebook twi um, Twitter account and the, the WhatsApp Twitter account. And, you know, the, uh, amusing things. And then the conspiracy theory starts. And then it got really weird. There was this idea that Facebook had been completely deleted and someone shared a list of IP addresses. And this, this went viral. Everyone was looking at this list of IP addresses and they were presented as being a, um, a, a sort of a trace route, um, a ping, uh, listing of all the IP addresses related to Facebook. There was nothing of the sort. Uh, in fact, as I understand, it was an old screenshot and from something else that had been kind of represented with a few words around it, which just, you know, that's um, 
key piece of uh, sort of like PR and propaganda there, just taking an image and then adding words to it to change its context completely. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm sure we've talked about this before. Or someone has. It's nothing new, but it's crazy how when a, a breaking news, you know, obviously Facebook going down isn't like a serious world event in the grand scheme of things. But still, sure. it is crazy how when something like this happens with an extended outage, people you can just take a random screenshot and then share it and say that, you know, this shows that Facebook's been completely deleted. And yeah. like 30 minutes later, it's back up totally fine. Like, and you know, it gets a hundred thousand retweets because people see it and think, wow, that's some scary code. You know, what, what's that? I'm the, that looks weird. You know, the, the old, you know, a lie gets halfway around the world quote. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff floating around from people that probably had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. And what actually happened is that the um, DNS domain name system that allows the internet to run by translating domains into IP addresses, Facebook's DNS records and BGP, Border Gateway Protocol records, um, went wrong. And this is possibly due to an update, but the update um, that deleted these DNS, um, you know, it sends out this uh, update to the DNS system saying this is what's this is all it we're, it's all gone now which means that no subsequent message could be sent out that's basically what happened and so you then have people like uh, mike shretfer tweeting sincere apologies to everyone impacted by outages of facebook powered services right now so you know, instagram whatsapp facebook etc we are experiencing networking issues <laughs> and team networking issues oh, that, that is such an understatement i was going to say networking <laughs> issues <laughs> And teams are working as fast as possible to debug and restart as fast as possible. And do you know what? I mean, I have been in the middle of some absolutely terrible outages uh, in my time. And they did really, they fixed that pretty quickly. I mean, for how big of a meltdown it yeah. seemed to be, I would have, I mean, it was, it was out for what, six hours, maybe seven hours. So it was, I mean, it was big. I said I said in our Slack, I'm, I can only imagine how many millions of dollars a company loses like that, just not having its, any of its services available for that long. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, that's it's not like it was days, you know. Exactly, and I, I mean, I mean, you mentioned WhatsApp before. Is that what really? Is that what you missed when this happened? Well, I mean, I. You know, I'm working when it's on, so it's not like I mean, I talk to my friends on WhatsApp, but it's not like it's you know, if I can't talk to them for two hours, I'm going to have a conniption. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's that's what I missed the most out of yeah. the three, I guess, because it's the, I would just like send them, I send them like memes and just stupid stuff throughout the day if I think of it. So, um, but yeah, I think that's probably the most. I mean, it depends on the on on who you are, right? If you're sure. a business that relies on Facebook for co talking to your employee or not your employees, your customers or just getting information out there. That's the most important. Um, you know, a lot of people use Instagram for the same thing, but so many people in the world use WhatsApp like as their messaging app, yeah. like the only one they use. Or, you know, may, maybe if they don't use WhatsApp, then their backup is Facebook Messenger. Well, when both of those go exactly. out, you yeah. know, what do you do? You're talking to someone in another country, you can't text maybe because you get an overcharge or whatever. But I think the amount of time it was offline for as well, you get to the point where, you know, they, they fixed it quickly, but there is that kind of, there's that moment, that moment passed where you're thinking, what if I'm not going to be able to speak to my sister again? I haven't got a phone number. Or what's happened to all my photos? You know, all these things or any, 
I had this wood. I made this wonderful. I uploaded a video to Facebook. I'm never going to see it again. Yeah, it's almost like that feeling you get when you jump in the pool and your phone's in your pocket and you realize you haven't backed up, that kind of thing. I've like never something done you, that. Have you done that? Something I have not, but okay. I've known several people that have. <laughs> I've pr I've been pretty much since I was in college, I've been pretty serious about backing up. So I, w I would like to think even if I did do something like that, I would have pretty much everything backed up. Um I did. I remember actually, well, not it wasn't my fault, but in college, it was actually right when I was sitting down to write my first sample article to apply for make use of, um, my computer's hard drive died in my laptop, like literally as I sat down to write the article. Um, but I had thankfully, I think that was right before, right after I had signed up for Backblaze, so I had everything backed up. But yeah, it's that feeling of, you know, a lot of people, the stuff they share on Facebook, they probably don't have, maybe they don't have it backed up to their computer, or maybe they shared a video and then they ran out of space on their phone, so they deleted the video off their phone, and Facebook's the only place they have it. Um, yeah, that could be a, a big concern for people. Or yeah, you're, you're right, someone you chat with from high school or something whose number you don't have, you don't have any other way to get a hold of them. It would be kind of weird if Facebook just disappeared. I think some people were kind of hoping it would, but in that, yeah. Well, from what I saw, yeah. I think as well, um, it's worth pointing out that it wasn't just the outside world that was affected by it. Facebook's workplace and internal site, says Jane Manchin Wong, were also having DNS issues. And, you know, there's, there's places that uh, Facebook staff couldn't get into. Oh, the keycard's not working correctly. So it's, it's basically a complete misconfiguration and, and of, of their network services. And um, they... Essentially, they did delete themselves. They removed themselves completely from uh, the internet, uh, but were fortunately able to uh, return to the internet. Yeah, I did see that they were having trouble. Their key cards weren't working. I also saw something say um, that they had to cut into the cage of the servers using a grinder, which that was not true. That was one of those rumors <laughs> that was floating around early. Kind of paints a funny picture, like they couldn't get into the server because their key card didn't work, so they had to slice into it, but that's not yeah. not, not the truth, apparently. I, I saw a report saying that they were having to send a team to remote a remote server to um, reboot it or something. I was getting sort of Resident Evil vibes. Yeah, yeah, right. The doors close. Yeah, the yeah. Doors in. It is October, so <laughs> fitting time for a little horror scenario there. Totally, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that is basically what happened. That's why your Facebook went and it didn't come back for hours on end. And you, you were left wondering what you're actually going to do with your life without Facebook other than go on Twitter. You didn't have to go that low. Facebook's back. You don't have to plumb the depths of yeah. social networking on Twitter. It will never happen to you. The cesspool of Twitter. The cesspool of Twitter. Yeah, I, quite I like to think that people use it as an opportunity to do something outside of social media, but I feel like most people probably didn't do that. Probably not. No. The thing is about Facebook is that it is so vast and all-encompassing. I mean, my wife is a local uh, counselor, so she's involved in local politics and local community issues. She has a page on there that she shares stuff to, the things that she's been doing, any um, groups that are getting contact with her looking for volunteers and stuff like that she'll share that and you know she couldn't access any of that and you know she's certainly not i mean you know there are like fully fully i was gonna say fully grown that's patronizing full-blown politicians who you know their facebook is their their outlet to the world or their twitter or whatever and but you know then you've got small businesses you've got schools and colleges and community groups um you know, the, 
baby businesses, I said baby, was it nascent businesses, you know, they're taking their first steps into commercial life using Facebook, maybe as a, as a replacement or a proxy for an, an, an actual website because you can just go on Facebook and set up a page and it's essentially, it's a website for your business rather than having to pay for hosting fees and setup fees and uh, sure. you know, web design. And everyone that. can just search for it exactly. and it's there. And then it's gone. No one's going to find you. So that I would imagine, I mean, you mentioned figures of how much it costs Facebook, but I mean, the, the actual cost of Facebook not being online um, to the businesses that use Facebook could be astronomical. Especially, I guess we'll over, probably never really know. Probably like not. Said, no. Take take all the millions of small businesses around the, you know, every country around the world. Yeah, that's that's a lot of people affected. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, let's move on. Virtual private networks are um, they're usually associated with people who want to uh, keep their activity online secret. So what would that have to do with online gaming? Well, you would be surprised. There are actually many reasons why gamers should use a gaming-friendly VPN. Uh, we've um, listed a... a um, you can tell them about practice, can't you? We've listed seven reasons that you should subscribe to a paid VPN service, because after all, a free VPN is a complete waste of time. And this will enhance your gaming experience. I'm going to show you how this will enhance your gaming experience. And then I'm going to ask Ben to um, challenge me on that. Okay? Sounds good. Okay. I'll get my challenging hat on. <laughs> okay. So you can play games from overseas servers, first of all. Uh, with a paid VPN installed on your PC, router, or console, you'll be able to connect to a game server on the side of the planet via a server in the same region. I mean, this is quite a simple feature of VPNs that you can sort of use IP addresses and servers in different countries. And so you could be um, playing a new game today that's released. Uh, say um, a game is released in Japan today, but isn't coming out in the US or Europe until next week or next month. Via a VPN, you can potentially be playing it before it comes out. You can also play while traveling. Uh, say you're normally based in North America, but you, you're going to stay in Japan. How will you maintain a connection with your usual gaming server? Well, as soon as you connect to the internet in the destination country, instead of using the local servers, you connect to your usual regional server via VPN. So, uh, can I challenge the first two? So oh, go on then. I'm going to step into my new role. So I think the first one is good, playing new titles um, early earlier. Um, I've never tried this, and I imagine it would probably depend on the, the service. PlayStation might have some different rules than, say, Nintendo does. Mm -hmm. um, if You ha you would probably also need an account uh, registered in that region, um, which now you can do, I think, pretty easily on every major system. Um, I know on my Switch, like I have a Japanese user account which all i had to do was make a new nintendo account and yeah. just say i live in japan you don't need a japanese credit card or anything um and then when you go on the eShop, you can see games that are only in japan there might be some demos that are there early um as far as playing games before they arrive like digitally i think it would work but you'd probably need to make sure you have the right account too and you may have to use that account always to play the game or 
there may be other restrictions but i think that would work sure um, um i mean you're looking at that from a very switch point of view and that's absolutely fine um because this is a slightly older article i was playing uh terra uh t-e-r-a and uh, which is uh, originally a korean game and i was working on a book about it so i was basically playing both versions at the same time and so the korean version was slightly different to the western version and, oh uh, okay so yeah, I was yeah. Using i'm thinking a VPN of playing it early that makes sense yeah, yeah playing yeah. a different version yeah and then playing while traveling that's good too you just have to remember that there's probably going to be lag there is um, probably you know, going to be in, lag depending if on you're in japan yeah, and you're yeah. trying to play on u.s servers it's it'll work it's just there's going to be higher latency so for any game that's really fast paced probably yeah. not going to be too great but it'll at least let you jump on with your friends sure and you can also potentially access um exclusive from anywhere um, we kind of um gone into that already um it can work on xbox and psn um whether or not it still works that's something that i'm gonna have to look into i'm afraid um now a fast connection to a vpn server in the same region as a gaming server can it, i'm not saying it will and it's not going to work every time and this is again related to what we're saying but it can reduce lag and pin times um that will depend on the speed of your own internet and the quality of the VPN server and its connection to the game server. That is a potential improvement over what you may already have. But it's kind of, it's one of those things you need to try rather than rely on. So say you've, you're, if your traffic, if your ISP is, um, is squeezing the internet traffic and you're using a VPN, then they don't know what the data is. So you bypass that traffic management that the, that the ISP is using. And it's, it's all related to that. Right. And potentially, again, this, is, this really depends on where you are, where your ISP servers are, where the servers are for the game that you're playing and all yeah. that kind of thing. But yeah. potentially, if your data is going through uh, a VPN server that's close to the game server, it might be a little bit more efficient than if it's going through the server that you would normally be connected to at home it does depend yeah um and you know when you're adding a step sometimes you would increase latency because you have to go through more servers but it depends on your situation so it's definitely something to yeah. try for for so, your case totally. i mean basically if, if you're having slow reactions um ping times and the latency is poor with the online game that you're playing then it's worth trying uh, with a VPN to you know just try that and you know um, it's it's called throttling and it's not a nice thing that ISPs do but it's all about uh, managing their resources and not much you can do about it apart from using a VPN um, you can also play potentially multiplayer titles from any region um, region lots of multiplayer games can be accessed via a VPN and you can also and I think this is probably most important protect your data online gaming servers require constant attention from admin to monitor performance and security and there's regular patching to deal with security issues but vulnerabilities found by hackers can be exploited but with a vpn you're running an encrypted connection to your game server making it more difficult now these days um i'm i want to say that every online game client on whether you're using a pc or a mobile phone or a switch or a playstation 5 or whatever is making an encrypted connection to its destination game server i would really like to say that but as we've learned over the past few months that isn't necessarily going to be the case because when you think someone is encrypting something it quite often turns out that they're actually not encrypting something so 
Yeah, I think it depends. Um, and I also think, too, this is another one that depends on the game and the instance, because I think that when you say you, you know, you use your Xbox to connect to battlefield servers and play, um, I don't think that necessarily there's anything that's in transmission when you're playing that would be valuable if someone were to break in and take it. Um, you know, obviously, if you're logging into an account or something, that's different. But if you're just playing a game and someone were able to sniff what you were doing and see that you were playing on this map and with this gun, I don't really know what that would do unless there was some kind of vulnerability in the game where they were able to exploit that and yeah. then take over your account or something. So a lot of this is theoretical, but there's, you know, you're, you're a lot of it depends on you trusting the console company that the, the company that runs the network you're playing on. So like PlayStation network, and then the company that makes the game and runs the servers, trusting them that they're handling your data properly. Yeah, absolutely. I remember there was a, there was a guy who stole the credentials of a another Eve Online player some years ago, and that that made like new, that that made newspapers, like the impact that that had and the amount of money the guy had made in game. So um, yeah, it depends on the game too. If yeah. it's a game that's really big on like trading, you know, if it's like Team Fortress sure. Two or CS:GO or something where there's a bunch of items that you can get and sell for potential large amounts of real money you know that's more attractive to someone than you know your splatoon account that doesn't really have any value and on its own agree now um there are some you probably know you can use uh, vpn with the pc you can also use it with other devices the best way to use a vpn is with a router but not all routers are compatible to be set up with a vpn account without modification in which case you need to go for individual devices um make use of writer emma collins um told us about various gaming consoles that you can play using a vpn and this is a, just a brief list can you use a vpn on a ps4 or ps5 yes you can can and um, but you have to configure your router for that to be possible can you use a VPN on your Xbox One? Yes, you can. There are different ways you can do this. You can configure your PC as a route for the VPN. So basically, rather than your Xbox One connecting directly to the internet, it would connect to your PC and then onto the internet. There is also a media streamer option, so you can set um, which some uh, uh, VPNs provide, which uh, you can enter as a sort of a replacement DNS in your... Uh, so Xbox. So I remember doing something like this in college, a okay. um, little sto story time here yeah. about a VPN with games. So um, when I was in my junior year of college, the first Destiny game came out and I got it because I thought the idea sounded cool. Um, but Destiny is always online. Like there's, you cannot even start the game if you're not online. Uh, and the problem was at my college, the, they had, they used a proxy server to connect everyone to the network for security. Mm -hmm. And most online services and games didn't work some did but it was very random like you would just buy a game and it might work it might not um so i bought destiny and it didn't work of course hmm. so i tried to do a bunch of stuff to figure out how to connect um and what i ended up doing was so we had a dock they gave us for our laptop and they had a, some kind of configuration on the computers because it was school issued laptops so they had like stuff in the, in the firmware, um, when they, when you had Ethernet connected, which I normally did, it disabled the Wi-Fi. So I ended up buying a wireless adapter that basically was a it gave me Wi-Fi when I was wired in, and then I used I forget what the app was called, Connectify I think maybe mm -hmm. that lets you broadcast your computer's connection as a Wi-Fi network 
and then I found a VPN that the that the college's network actually let me use. Um, there were like a bunch of them were always blocked, but this one worked. So I would connect my computer to the VPN and then start Connectify and then broadcast the network as a wireless access point using that adapter. And that let me play. Um, Connectify would cut out sometimes and it was kind of janky, but I felt pretty good about finding all those pieces of the puzzle that all work together. Well done. Nice one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some uh, VPN services provide what they refer to as like a media streamer thing, which um, gives uh, more reliable video streams, but they're not really for gaming. They are for watching video apps and things like that. So, and again, with the Nintendo Switch, there is no method of installing a VPN software and then configuring it because that brings us back to the router. Really, the only way to, um, the only reliable way, rather than rooting it via your PC, is to set up the VPN on your router, which means you're not going to be relying on the router provided by your ISP in most cases. You're either going to have to buy a router or find a way of hacking the one that you've got and then installing custom router firmware uh, such as DDWRT or Tomato router or any of those things. Now, as with every other previous edition of the Really Useful Podcast and those yet to come, uh, everything that we've discussed in the episode you'll be able to find in the show notes. Until next time, it's goodbye from myself, Christian Corley, and from him, Ben Stegner. We will see you later, and uh, go enjoy Facebook if you haven't already, huh? (laughs) 